Wow, Kate, thanks so much for uh, just being so open of where you're at, uh, not trying to paint pretty pictures, but just being honest of where you're at and where your Savior is meeting you. And I know there's some in the room. Uh, really, come down. Talk to Kate afterwards. Talk to one of us if you're in one of these places. We're going to help point you in the same direction where she's finding, she's able to wrestle through these things with the Lord. So thanks again, Kate. And welcome 180. I'm so glad that you're here tonight. Uh, even though you may be smelling your neighbor's, uh, you know, B.O. right now, it's still good to be here together uh, in this hot room. Um, I hope you're settling in. If this is your first year on campus, third week, probably starting to get some homework, some quizzes, some tests. Hopefully you're settling into some sort of pattern. And I hope that actually 180 becomes a, a good part of that pattern, that as you come here, you're beginning to connect with some community and also being challenged and encouraged in your relationship with the Lord. So we hope 180 becomes a regular part of your week. As Jared said, I'm Jason, been on staff here for 13 years. And my hope, I would love to meet you all on the basketball court to see how old I really am. Or if it's just maturity, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'm not on staff alone, as Jared said. I have a family, and I want to introduce them to you here. So there they are. So... My wife, Casey, she's also a graduate of OU. She's a bobcat. And then our three kids, Madeline, Caleb, and Gabby. Gabby's the little one. Uh, what you can't see pictured is that number four is coming in January. Whew, I, I don't know the right words. I don't know if it's overwhelmed or excited. I don't, I just, it's crazy and we're getting to be a little bit of those weird people, you know? Four people, people give you weird looks. As my favorite, uh, one of my favorite comedians, Jim Gaffigan, says, he says, you know what it's like having a fourth child? It's like you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. <laughs> we feel like we're drowning and somehow we have even more chaos entering into our world, but we're excited uh, it will probably, we are pretty sure it will be a baby girl, though our boy Caleb is uh, having belief against unbelief that it will still be a boy. So, um, but yeah, in the midst of that craziness, all of us, we actually decided we'd have even more crazy. So we packed all this up in what felt like half our home, and we drove to Colorado to spend six weeks there over the summer for some training and a conference with crew. I mean, it was not just our kids. It was like half our home. It was utensils and pots and pans and sheets and pillows. And we headed out there uh, early in the morning. I punched in our coordinates on the GPS. We're heading to Fort Collins, Colorado, and off we set. Three days later, after a few nights on the way out, we made it to our destination. And I was incredibly giddy. I was singing as we were driving into Fort Collins after three days that we'd finally made it to our destination. I couldn't believe it. Our van, it took a beating. I think if you were, for like the next two weeks, if you were hungry, you could probably piece together an entire Happy Meal from the food that was in the nooks and crannies of our van, but we made it. Um, and driving out there is just a funny thing. Like, it is a long drive, but there are vast swaths of Nebraska that I don't remember at all. I may have actually fallen asleep and had cruise control because the roads are so straight and boring. I may have fallen asleep and somehow made it out there. You might have experienced something similar. Like, I've probably driven from the Kroger on State Street, to, State Street to our house probably 500 or more times. I don't think that's an exaggeration. And I know it's the second exit on the left to get on 33 underneath the bridge. And it's just automatic. Sometimes, though, we'll go to Kroger, and then we're going to drive to visit my family in Columbus, which is the first exit. 
And I, almost every single time, we will load up our groceries, load up our kids. I'll say, we are going to Columbus. And I will drive, and I will miss the first exit, and either need to turn around, or I courageously swerve into the lane, and I get some fun gestures from other drivers. <laughs> but it's because I forgot my destination, so my direction was all thrown off. And you've probably found that where you've drive, you're driving home from school, and you get halfway home, and you're like, wait, I had practice I was supposed to go to but you just find yourself automatically, instinctually ingrained in your habits heading in this direction. Well, I think something actually similar happens in our spiritual lives. I think something happens just overall in our life, that there's this relationship between our destination and the direction that we take. Uh, Really, similar to me driving from Kroger, if you have forgotten your destination, maybe in a more... um, uh, appropriate word would be your destiny. If you've forgotten what your destiny is or you don't know it, you will have incredibly unclear direction for your life. I can't imagine packing up our family and all that stuff and just starting to drive without knowing where I'm going. And I can't imagine for you packing up this four years of your college experience and the innumerable relationships and choices that you're going to have, loading that all up and not knowing where you're going. See, there's a, there's a relationship between your destiny and your direction. And if we don't know our destiny, I think there begins to be this sense of uh, anxiety maybe inside of us, maybe some frustration. Sometimes we just become indifferent to our lives because we don't know where we're going. But as we turn to the book of John tonight, we're going to be looking at a chapter, John 14, passage in there, which is incredibly personal, and I'll share some of that tonight with you. And what I love about this passage, there's a man in this passage called Thomas, and it's as if we had whispered a question into his ear for him to ask Jesus. Because Thomas asked Jesus about our destiny and our direction, our way to get there. And even better, Jesus answers. Jesus, who I'd say is fully a human. He is a man. And yet in the way he responds to Thomas, he tells Thomas about his destiny and about the direction to get there. He reveals the destiny and is himself the direction to get there. And he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is a man, but he's more than just a man amongst men. He is Jesus Christ, the God-man, come down for us. So we're going to read the passage here in a moment, but let me pray for us tonight. Lord, as we open up your word, we pray that you would meet us in this room, that you'd open our eyes to who you are and how you're at work, and that you would move in our hearts and our wills, that we would appropriately, lovingly, in a worshipful way, respond to you. When you pray this in the name of Christ, amen. So we're going to start. John 14, 1. And Jesus begins, he says, he's talking to his disciples. Uh, really, there's probably 11 guys that are around him at this moment. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, 
Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? So Jesus begins speaking to his disciples, and uh, this, is becoming, this is near one of the last nights of his life. And he's been talking a lot about this going. He's been saying to them, I'm going, I'm going, and you can't follow me. You can't come after me. His most bold disciple, Peter, says, no, 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 Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. I will die for you. And he says, Peter, where I'm going, you can't come right now. And so it begins to create, I think, some anxiety and some fear, trepidation, maybe some frustration amongst the disciples because they're wondering, Jesus, we've been with you for three years. We've left nearly everything we've had. Why can't you actually tell us where you're going? We don't understand. So Jesus speaks to them, and he wants to comfort them. He says, listen, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled by what I'm saying to you, all right? Believe in God and believe in me. Trust me. Trust me in the midst of what's going on. He says, I'm going to prepare a place, and if I'm going to go prepare this place that's in my father's house, don't worry, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you. And you know the way to where I'm going. So Jesus is trying to assure his disciples of what's going to happen after he, after he goes. But it's not actually comforting them. I think they're even more anxious, even more frustrated. And you see Thomas. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, let alone the way to get there. Jesus, we don't know the destination. How can we even know the direction. But I love that Thomas asks this, because I think if Thomas didn't speak up, he might regret it. Because he had heard these things that Jesus was saying, and it had awoken something inside of him where he said there is something more and bigger and better and more real, and it has to do with Jesus and his Father, and I want it, but I don't understand. So instead of staying silent, he asks the questions. Lord, where are you going? What's the direction? And I can identify with where Thomas is at. Because my freshman year of college, I came down here, um, and I was going to study to be a computer engineer. And at that time, there's the rankings that OU has finally fallen out of. Uh, but we were the number two party school at the time when we came here. And some of you might have shared this with, but I was really unhappy with that number my freshman year. I was really kind of disappointed and frustrated with it. And so when my freshman year, part of my mission was to make us the number one party school in the nation. That's what I wanted to do. And me and my three roommates in McKinnon on South Green, we threw parties every weekend. People were dancing on our coffee table, loud music, alcohol, whatever we could do to boost that number up. And actually, I, I will admit, I had a bunch of friends and I had a lot of fun. And honestly, there wasn't part of me that felt unfulfilled. Now, some people have felt this sense inside them. They would say there's like a hole in their life or a hole in their heart that needs to be filled by God, and I think that's real and I think that's true. That's just not what I was experiencing. But towards the end of my freshman year, in the midst of all this fun and excitement and all these friends, I would say I began to be haunted by something. Now, Halloween's coming up. We often think of ghosts as we're being haunted, you know, things jumping out from behind us. That's not quite what I mean. But the feeling you get, that's what I'm going after, where I would walk around campus and it was like this invisible and material existence would just be all around me and I could, I could sense it. I could experience it somewhat, but I could not figure it out. 
And so no matter how much I was partying and drinking with my friends, no matter what I was doing, I could not escape this sense that there was something more. I would go to walk by myself at night, stare up at the stars against a pitch black sky. And it seemed so far and distant, and yet at the same time, those stars felt immensely close to me. Somehow so far and yet so close that I almost wanted to reach out and touch them, but almost reach through them to some reality that it was missing in my life that I wanted to be part of. I actually began just to walk around campus and I started to write down my thoughts because this felt weighty and heavy and real. And one night on the bike path, I was looking out and I just wrote, I, f- I feel the presence. It's like the presence of, and I just stopped mid-sentence. I still have my notebook where I just stopped because I couldn't figure out that, that de- direction, that endpoint, that destiny. But it was there kind of haunting me. I wanted it. And it was as if I was saying, I don't know the way. I was, a, I was an engineer. I mean, we were learning how physics and calculus and chemistry works, this mechanized, analyzable world that should somehow all be contained and we should be able to understand it all, and yet it was like there was this whole other dimension that was going on. And you know, I don't think it was just me that has experienced this. You might have experienced some of these things yourself. Even if you'd say you do not know God, that you don't believe what's going on um, in terms of who Jesus is, I think we all just have these moments where we're sitting there and and this shaft of light from the sun just kind of falls across our face and there's just this tinge that there's something bigger, there's something more, and you can't even put words to it. Or you know you're walking across campus now and you get this kind of cool winter breeze, like winter creeping in in the midst of the warmth of summer. And you're like, there's, like the hairs on the back of your neck just kind of stand up a little bit because you sense there's something more. This is true even for the, uh, those that I would say are somewhat the farthest from God. Uh, one of my grandfathers, he was one of the more um, prideful, knowledgeable guys that I've ever been around. And he didn't care much for God, certainly a God that might have things to say about his life. He would probably be an agnostic, saying, if God exists, it doesn't matter. And I don't care about it. And yet, regularly, what he would do is he'd grab a telescope, he'd go out to the front porch, and he'd look up into the stars. Because he wanted to catch a glimpse of a meteor going by. Or he wanted to see the way... Uh, that certain planets were moving or the the moon was rotating. Because I think for him, though he denied the existence of God in this world, it made the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. It was almost like he was a, a dam, a wall with water pushing against it, and there was leaks he was trying to stop. Where he's like, no, 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 no. God, God's not, not real. This, this whole new dimension, this other thing, it's not there. And yet it sprung out somewhere else. Because when he looked out at the stars, I have to think that he sensed majesty. He wasn't a scientist when he was out there. He was a wanderer. He was a wanderer trying to find a way. This is true for even those that would probably say, I really just don't even think God exists at all. It's a unique phenomenon that I would say those that would most kind of understand this world as purely a scientific world are also some of the ones that are most prone to be excited about a search for extraterrestrial life. They say, no, 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 God, God's not real. And there's nothing crazy or supernatural going on here on earth. But man, I think there might be something out there. I don't have a bunch of evidence for it. I don't have much to tell me that. But I think there's something actually 
superhuman, beyond the world that I know, because it makes the hairs on the back of their head stand up, that there's a majesty and a wonder. They can't live without it. I think none of us can live without it. Now, we try to numb it. We try to forget about it, whatever that is. For some people, that's drinking. For some people, that's relationships. For some people, that's just simply binging on a series on Netflix. But we, we might try to calm it, but we can't escape it. Somehow there's a sound, it echoes, and it reverberates in our souls, and we just can't shake it. It's like we pick up this sound and the static. Our souls sense an origin and a destiny to who we are, but we can't quite make out the words. So I wonder for you, if you'd say you don't know God or don't believe in him, do you know what I'm talking about? What do you do with that? Are you able just to explain it away? Maybe but I think there's some sense deep down that, that, no, this is telling me something about myself and this world. And if you would say, I believe in Jesus, I follow him, do you still get those senses? Are you still picking up the majestic, supernatural, invisible, immaterial ways that God is shaping your life and at work in this world, moving us towards a destiny? Has, it, has that began, begun to shape the way you make decisions and choices. Or for you, are you like me driving home that you're getting off on wrong exits because you forgot your destination. You forgot your destiny. So you're making lots of wrong choices going the wrong way. This is where this passage is incredible to me. Because like I said, I was haunted by these questions of something more didn't have very much spiritual background at all, but I could sense something, I, but I couldn't access it. I was saying I don't know the way. I tried. I tried reading books. Well, a book. I tried to read Catcher in the Rye and thought it might give me this kind of insider, mystical experience to the world, uh, and it was good. I don't know. It was, I didn't feel that afterwards. And I thought maybe if I, if I latch on to, you know, like good music, like not that pop music stuff, but if I get into some real bands, and at that time the band for me was Pearl Jam. Many of you don't know who they are, but it was like they talk about real things in the world. Um, and it, it was good. It kind of gave me a detachment a little bit from this world, but it didn't give me access to what I was seeking. And I even tried other things. I was like, hey, maybe getting high. If I just get high a whole bunch, sometimes it's just for fun, but sometimes it'll separate me enough from this world that I'm going to have some sort of transcendent, mystical experience that allows me to tap in and reach those stars to get to somewhere else. And I had experiences, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the reality that was there. I was saying, show me the way. And I think so many of us are asking, uh, searching, trying to find that way. We think if we just kind of organize our lives somehow or, and make the right decisions and wear the right clothes and meet the right people, there's somehow this cosmic key that we can unlock the door into our destiny. I think that's a fruitless search, though, because this is the passage I read that night in my uh, dorm room, spring of my freshman year, in the midst of all these questions, trying to find all these ways in, and I read this passage Thomas asks this question, then Jesus responds. Oh, this is uh, what I would have looked like freshman year, by the way. This is a recreation. Um, that, that is the hat and the shirt I wore probably 75% of my freshman year. Um, so think about hippie, orange beanie, Jason, 
asking, where's this way? Walking around, trying to read, trying to write, trying to figure it out. And midnight, one night, in my room, spring semester, I read this. I didn't know where to go, but I had this Bible from high school, from this camp that I'd gone to, and I just flopped it open on my coffee table, and I just read these words, Jesus saying, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I, as a 19-year-old, no really spiritual background, uh, I slammed the door on campus, Crusades for Christ crew now, I, I slammed the door in their face my freshman year. But here, spring semester, I read this passage, and I just fell on my knees with majestic tears of joy. Because that thing, that something, the presence of that I couldn't get to was all of a sudden in the room with me in my dorm because of what Jesus had done. The God of the universe that I thought was always way behind those stars that I could never get access to was right there with me because of what Jesus had did. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are things that no mere man could ever say. Men can talk about ways. They can even blaze a trail. And you can think of some famous historical or political or religious leaders that blaze a trail and say, hey, come after me. There's the way. There it is. Go for it. There's men that can talk about the way. There's men and women that can talk about the truth. Plato, Aristotle, Moses. They can talk about true things that are truly going on, but they can only talk about them. Others can describe the life to us. Think of Shakespeare or Frost or poets or movie makers. They can give us a sense of life, but they can only tell us about it. Only one who is more than a mere man could himself say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He is the way because he's the truth. Jesus Christ is the final, full, true revelation of who the God of the universe is. As we open up the scriptures and read about Jesus, we find God fully revealing himself to us. See, all those songs and those things I was experiencing in nature, they were, they were real, but they were like the ink splatterings from a painting onto the floor. I was looking at them, and I, and I couldn't get over how beautiful they were. But what I didn't see is God was making this majestic picture of himself, an image of who he is, come down to earth in Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus is the masterpiece image the full and final revelation of who God is. He tells us truly what God is like. And so Jesus can say, I'm the way. And he can say, I am the life. Jesus said that he had authority to lay down his life and to pick it back up. He has an ability and authority to give life to those whom he chooses. He says, he is the life. Then he goes on and he says, there's no other way to the Father except through me. Which to me, that is an incredibly bold, stark, bare, uncomfortable statement. 
to say there is no other way. It's one of the most exclusive things that anyone could ever say. I'm not a way. I'm not a truth. I am the way, the truth. No one gets to God except through me. That destiny, relationship with the Father, there's no other way except through Jesus. And you know what's actually incredible about this, state, this statement? I would say it's one of the most inclusive statements ever. Because everyone's included in the exclusion. No one comes to the Father except through me. Doesn't mean nobody unless you have some money. Doesn't mean nobody unless you have some religious background. Doesn't mean no one comes to me um, unless you have some sort of racial background. Uh, you have some sort of religious background. You have some sort of uh, uh, education status. It doesn't say that. It says no one. No matter where you come from, no matter who your parents are, no matter how you grew up, no matter what you did last week, no one comes to our destiny. No one comes to the Father unless it's through Jesus. He's the full, final way, the truth, and the life. Do we understand, though, that that's our destiny to be with God forever, our eternity? It's so hard to keep it in mind. It's so hard to realize that the only thing that stands between you and eternity is this thin veil you call the present. And at the screech of some tires or the slip of some foot or the collection of some cancerous cells, you meet eternity. We're all getting there. But we can live as if that's not true. We can try to unhaunt our lives from the echoes that speak to us. And I'd say if you're a follower of Christ, you can begin to forget that your full and final destiny is to be with God forever through Jesus Christ. This is what I realized that night. I would have never been able to put it into words that night, but God revealed himself to me in Jesus, and I fell on my knees and said, God, you have my life. God, I am yours. And the way that Jesus is the way is he says he goes. He said that a few times earlier. He said it in just the passage we read. He's kind of used that word throughout the Gospel of John. And it's kind of enigmatic. We don't know what he means. But then in chapters 18 to 20 of the Gospel of John, we begin to see when Jesus talks about going, what he means is, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to my death. I'm taking upon myself the sins of the world, the sins of you and me, and I'm going to the grave. But it also means he's going from the grave to resurrection. That he's died for all of us, he comes back to life, and he has the power and authority of life enthroned as God on high. He begins to call himself the resurrection and the life because he can give you and I life that we can never access ourselves. It's through his death and his resurrection that we're able to go to the Father. This is the world that we actually live in. This is the haunted, enchanted world where God reverberates throughout our world, but speaks to us clearly and truly in his son. So what does this mean about us? As we think through this, what does this mean? It means for you, you're more than an evolutionary accident. You're more than a chaotic collision of cosmic atoms. You are made in the image of God. 
And as the image of God, you receive and you have the receptors to hear how God's at work. And he's given you ability to respond to Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit. It also means this world is more than just a machine. You can't separate the spiritual from the natural. You can't separate the material from the immaterial. They're so intertwined. This world is more than a machine. And it means that Jesus is more than a man amongst men. He is the God-man. The holy God of the universe who created you and me and created this world, who has come to us in flesh and has gone to his death that he might go into the resurrection life that we might share it with him. Jesus reveals our destiny. It's to live eternally with God the Father, in God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit. And he reveals the direction, it's the way. He doesn't say the way is over there. He says the way is here. The way is now. The way is in this room right in front of you. You don't need to walk to a church tonight to find the way. You don't need to go clean up things from your last week before you can come to God. The way meets you right here. And the way will take you all the way to God the Father. It's not a halfway road where Jesus walks you halfway and then lets you go on your own. He fully, finally will get you to the Father. So I'd ask you tonight, if you don't believe in who God is and that he's revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ, what do you do with all those echoes? Where do you put them? Try this on for size. See if it actually fits and makes sense of your experience that there is an eternal, immeasurably great creator who's made you and who you're separated from. And yet you're trying to get back to him and Jesus says, I'm the one way back. I'm the one way. Or if you're someone who would identify as a follower of Jesus, have you forgotten your destiny? Do you remember where you're going? You're going to live with God for all eternity and he's with you right now. My friend Roger Hershey were in the room. He'd have you picture this string. And he'd have you picture a string that goes around this room a thousand times. And this string represents eternity. And he'd say, think about your life. Your 60, 70, 80 years on this earth. Does anybody know what he'd say? Your life is a, he'd say it's a dot. It's a dot on that line of eternity. And he'd ask you, are you living for the dot or for the line? Jesus is the way for us to live for the line to have our direction in him to God the Father, where we get fullness of joy, fullness of life, full understanding, at least in our dimly lit eyes in this world, full understanding of how to live for him because of the way he's revealed himself to us. So if you don't know him, I want to invite you to do what I did that night my freshman year, which is to yield your life to God, to say, God, I believe in Jesus, that he's gone to the cross and, and risen for me, and you just have my life. If you do, we want to help you in that. We want to help you to live that out. And if you're a believer in Jesus, I want to invite you to pray that God would orient your life to your destiny, that your choices and the habits and your thoughts would be leading towards and experiencing even now the eternity with him that has already begun. So I'd ask you to pray those things with me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you and then uh, I'll give you a minute just silently to pray on your own. The band will come up. Um, and you can stay seated while the band starts to play if you want and just talk with the Lord.
Or if you want, you can rise and you can worship with us. Let me pray for us. Holy, heavenly, set-apart God, who's created and is beyond all the stars, we thank you that though we have walked away from you and burned all the bridges back, that you've given us a new way, who is the truth and the life, Jesus Christ himself, your son, who has gone to the cross, has been risen from the grave and conquers over death, that he may give life to all who believe in him. Lord, I would pray for those that right now are wrestling with you. I pray that they would yield their hearts to you and they'd be able to say, I believe in Jesus. God, you have my life. Make me who you want me to be. And God, for those of us in here who are followers of Jesus, I pray right now you would open up our hands and the hands of our heart that we would say, Lord, I want to live for eternity for this destiny that you've made me. You are my way. Lead me. Lord, I pray for this. Pray for this movement here that we can be a light on this campus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.